Welcome to the Cascadia Solidarity Zone, a new podcast by members of Seattle DSA, our local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We're your hosts. My name is Joshua, and I've been a member of DSA since summer of last year. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Wale. I have been a member of DSA since 2017. And yeah, we're here in Seattle, here to make things happen. Let's win. Hey y'all, this is Carolyn B. And I've been a member of the Seattle DSA chapter for a couple of years. And I'm excited to be here in the zone. Hey everyone, it's Maddie. Uh, I'm the newbie here. I've only been part of DSA for a couple of months now. Uh, but I am excited to be here with my uh, my elders. <laughs> we also have our producer slash editor here in the zone with us, Zach. Zach, say hi. Hey, everyone. I'm Zach. I've uh, been a DSA member for about a year, and I'm the producer. If it sounds terrible, you can blame me or maybe just our recording robot. For our inaugural episode of the Cascaded Solidarity Zone, we're going to be taking a look at an interview that Carolyn and I did with the uh, new co-chairs of Seattle DSA, Ali and Harris. But to get things kicked off, I just wanted to ask everybody to share something that they are excited about with having a p- new podcast for Seattle DSA and members of Seattle DSA to be creating media. Wale, why don't you kick us off there? Sure. I think that it's great because it's a an easily consumable format for people to find out the comings and goings of the chapter. And then also it's a, a great way for, for people to be engaged in general. Yeah, um, I'm excited because I think a lot of organizing work, a lot of stuff that happens in the political spaces can be a little mystifying. And I think if you just do research online about an organization and ideas, you can, you know, even further your mystification of the process. And I think hearing directly from folks and hearing their voices uh, in your ear as you're feeding your sourdough starter is really a powerful way to feel connected to the people that live close to you or live in your area and are doing work that's important. That reminds me, I do need to feed my sourdough starter. (laughs) Yeah, just to just to add in on all of that, um, like I I've been living in Seattle for what maybe two and a half years now, and I haven't really felt sense of community until um, kind of joining up with DSA and getting to you know know the people around me in Seattle who have you know similar political interests and everything like that. So doing a podcast where people can kind of get a a look into the window of what's going on in DSA before, you know, if if they've been thinking about trying it out or just haven't been able to make it to a meeting or anything, because like right now we're dealing with coronavirus and all of that. Having the podcast is a great way to kind of get them at least putting their toes in the water. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it took me personally a little bit of time to become engaged with the DSA and part of it, was because I didn't really understand um, everything that was going on. And I think having a platform where people can just listen and and understand the kind of stuff we're doing in Seattle could uh, be really helpful. Maddie, I really liked how you you talked about community. And and Zach, I think that kind of ties in with what you were saying as well, that it's, you know, can feel like there's a big barrier to joining an organization like DSA, especially if you've never done anything like it. And being able to 
give people a you know a peek through the window as you said i think is important because being able to find community is so important for us as as humans and for us as kind of you know political creatures oh definitely and i mean like in a place as big as seattle like it it's it's hard to know you know where to even start looking for that so something like this that gets people not just involved in DSA, but from there getting out into their community and getting to know more people who may or may not be involved in DSA through organizing work, uh, I think is a really, really nice uh, thing that we can bring to others. In our default culture, capitalist society, alienation, because we have all of these things that compel us to focus on going to work, making money, and then like doing what we can to kind of recover from the work that we did. Fortunately, we have for our very first second a pretty good uh, introduction or peek through the window of what Seattle DSA is with interviewing the co-chairs, Allie and Harris. For those of, uh, for anyone that's new to DSA or unfamiliar, Seattle DSA has a local council, uh, which all the positions are elected, and it's led by uh, two co-chairs, which are currently Allie and Harris. They were actually just elected to those positions at the end of March this year, and Carolyn and I luckily got to sit down with them and talk to them about their vision for SDSA, what it means to build political power, and much more. So uh, let's take a listen. Allie and Harris, thank you for coming on Cascadia Solidarity Zone to talk with us. Thank you so much for having us. There is so much organizing to do. We could literally be organizing 24-7. We could never stop. There's just endless projects. And, you know, everywhere you look, there's more to do. So I'm curious as to why y'all chose to put the vast majority of your creative organizing energy into DSA, into specifically the Seattle chapter. I felt like uh, DSA has been a really important place for me in landing in my political awareness. Uh, And since I moved to Seattle, it's been a big part of me feeling part of a community here. Um, So it just made sense to, to contribute on in some form to the, to the development of the chapter. I want to see us doing really great things and um, I'm in a position to like give the time for that right now. So it was just, a cool opportunity. Cool. Yeah. Paris, I think, what about you? Yeah, I think for me, well, I was recruited to socialism um, back in 2015. And in fact, had been like looking for it for years, but didn't realize it, but looking for some kind of like comprehensive view of the world, because that's the only way you can really go about changing it um, at the level that it needs to be changed. And so I was part of a small socialist organization for a few years um, where we talked a lot about, you know, we looking at socialist organizations and parties of the past and how mass, how massive they were um, and what an impact they had on the working class. Um, and some even carried out revolutions. Um, and so when DSA sort of got rebirthed um, a few years ago, um, I was incredibly excited about that. And it was the kind of thing that we had been talking about for a long time. Um, and I wanted to join and be part of that and urgently build it because obviously we have no time to lose in the work that we're doing. Yep. Harris, that's, that's a 
a good segue into a question I had for both of you, and I, I'll pose it to you first. Um, so, because we just had elections for the chapter, you two are the new co-chairs. As a, one of the two co-chairs, Harris, what is your vision for Seattle DSA, and how do you think that we can achieve that vision? That's a really good question. Um, my vision for Seattle DSA is really in line with like my vision for DSA as a whole, but obviously um, I get to work in Seattle DSA. Um, I think 2019, 2020, you know, this moment we're in right now, like we are on the brink of really, really big change. Um, and it's a sort of situation where it hasn't quite yet happened, but we're approaching something where possibly like the working class movements that we talk about all the time and are part of and are helping to build and stuff like that um, could um, sort of, you know, tumble feet first, um, you know, into really, really, um, you know, like uh, vibrant dynamic situations um, where there's not a clear way forward about how, like, where basically where people's needs confront um, sort of the brick wall of the capitalist system. Um, so my goals in a really abstract, um, theoretical, vague kind of way are to, um, you know, work with all of my comrades in DSA, Seattle DSA, to like, to urgently catch up um, with that phenomenon. And, and so what that means concretely, I think, is I would like us to be a um, very serious player um, in Seattle politics and also at a statewide level. Um, where we're able to really act um, with, you know, let's say we have about a thousand members right now with not just like the full, you know, um, impact of those 1000 members individually, but like um, in a, in a way where the, you know, the sum is greater than the parts or whatever that expression is. Right. Um, and uh, so I would like to see us, you know, be able to get to a point where we could have like a, a broad socialist, democratic socialist party, um, even here in Seattle, um, just in 2020 or 2021, um, and start building in that direction. I would love us to launch, relaunch a publication, which is why I'm really excited about this podcast. It's, you know, in line with that. Um, let's give the stranger a run for its money. It's become <laughs> milk toast and um, not radical and more often than not on the side of conservative forces in Seattle. And it's unacceptable that uh, workers don't have an alternative a place to look for local radical socialist analysis of what's going on and how to get involved and fight that, uh, you know, fight fight back against the conservative forces in, in Seattle and build something new. Um, and I'd like a third thing that I would be really excited about is if we could be deeply rooted in more unions um, or and workplaces um, that don't yet have unions, but also um, just like at a community level, like in each of our neighborhoods, I think Seattle DSA should be a known um, quantity. Um, it should be known for doing really good activism and really good community work. And also as a place where community members can come sort of in line with that newspaper idea, but come um, physically together, you know, if we ever get to an end with this COVID crisis, um, together and discuss what's going on and strategize about what we can do about it together. Great. That's a really big vision in a lot of ways. And I like that you have some concrete ideas of how how to accomplish that. Ali, does that, do you have a similar idea in mind? Do you, do you differ in, in some ways or, or in agree in other ways? Um, I agree largely. I think Harris and I are actually really complementary in the way that we think. Um, I, I would just add to what you said, Harris, that we're in a moment um, 
where concretely people are radicalizing and it's coming on the heels of an election where those who are interested in uh sorry i'm talking about the primaries the dnc primaries where those were mm-hmm. interested in a different view of of the united states and were dreaming something else is possible uh got just really shut down uh hit the wall as you said harris of, of the capitalist mm-hmm. reality um and they're reeling from that and they and i just think dsa it needs to be the home for those people who got mobilized um around a set of policy proposals that uh would really transform the way we think about um our society and then on the other hand with covid uh, just your day-to-day reality is radicalizing right now, right? And people are really struggling um, in a way that is also just showing the cracks in this system um, and hopefully making them bigger in some sense. Um, and so there's a real need just in the next year for us to sort of consolidate that, those sort of the new people, um, the new energy that that can bring. And I think that that's uh, sort of points us to a few things. One, campaigns around the things that people are really struggling with right now, especially housing and uh, unemployment or uh, horrible workplace conditions that are unsafe. Uh, So organizing around that um, and around housing. And then uh, political education, I think, is going to have to be a big part of what we do, especially as we think about the influx of people uh, who are paying attention now to these types of, of ways of thinking about the world. Um, and then also just sort of building our collective capacity to make sense of what this moment is, um, which I think has a lot of sort of infrastructural implications for the organization, how we do, how we use our collective space, how we communicate with one another, um, how we encourage like sort of the organic leadership that's emerging, especially people who have been Got, sort of gotten a lot of organizing experience over the last few years from different electoral and, and other um, sort of campaigns. So I'd love to see us in a year with some of those things in place and at least much uh, much better position to respond and to play that role that Harris was mentioning around, um, you know, sort of being a reference point and being a leader in, in Seattle. And then hopefully nationally, we can do some of that as well. I would give a resounding hell yeah to all of that. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of exciting things going on, as you kind of both alluded to. Um, Ali, I wanted to follow up with one thing. Um, you actually, in your candidate statement for co-chair, wrote something that I wanted to ask because I think it connects to what you were just explaining. Um, not to put you on the spot, but I think it's 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 an interesting conversation for us all to be having. Um, In your statement, you wrote that you'd like for us to think more intentionally about our constituencies and to embed our work in communities so that beyond individual campaigns, we're building long-term infrastructure for a socialist transformation of society. And the idea of DSA as part of the infrastructure of leftist movements here in Seattle more broadly, I think, is important. And and I was hoping you could expand a little bit on, on what you meant by that. Yeah, so I think that there's um, a phenomenon that I've witnessed in a lot of different left spaces, which is kind of uh, going it alone or creating things that already exist. Uh, And I think that uh, because our unique analysis is the thing that, you know, that's the new thing that will revolutionize. And I think uh, one thing that 
when we think about it in terms of infrastructure, it's like, how are we building broader capacity? Like, sure, building our organization is a big deal. But if we're not embedded in communities, which means talking about the things that are front of mind uh, and building capacity and contributing to campaigns that working class people are developing. And I think this speaks to also a little bit the relationship with like, what are the demands that we choose to organize around and how do we go about doing that and supporting work that already exists is a big deal. Um, I think it's largely when I talk about infrastructure, it's organizational, but it's mainly relational. Like we're talking about social infrastructure here too, of showing up for our communities in a broad sense, um, building relationships that can then, you know, in moments of crisis like right now, can can sort of translate into more transformative action. Uh, so I think it's building a ton of, you know, deeper local relationships that might involve having to be a little bit more consistent in certain spaces than sometimes from a volunteer organization that's been tough to maintain. Uh, it also means having expanding how we engage publicly, um, thinking about neighborhoods, district groups, how, you know, sort of what types of events we have, how we think about uh, relationship building in a geographic sense. Um, and I think it's also uh, building our capacity, the capacity of our members uh, to engage in meaningful collaborations and, and organizing with um, other leaders in the places where they live and work. So that's political education, but it's also some skill building as well. Cool. Um, that's a really great segue into something that we really wanted to talk to y'all about. Um, so there's two kind of forces that are, you know, weighed against each other, balance against each other. You know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, but we also exist in a society that is bereft of, uh, institutions on the left uh, to a large extent. And so one of the conversations happening right now in DSA, uh, especially in light of the uh, crash and burn of uh, Bernie's uh, uh, presidential primary run is a conversation on whether DSA should be working toward building a third party to run candidates in the election. And this is part of you know a much broader conversation about where we should put our organizing efforts, but um, I know that y'all have uh, been involved with this. So um, I just kind of wanted to open it up in terms of talking about how do you see DSA growing? Are we going to be growing as a hub organization for all these different organizing activities happening on the left? Or are we going to uh, work towards building a, a, a like a working class party? Uh, maybe those aren't mutually exclusive, but... Um, yeah, that's kind of where my mind's at right now, especially hearing, uh, you know, wanting to be taken seriously in politics, wanting to develop our members' skills, uh, wanting to be consistent. Um, those are all things that could go into uh, building a party. So, yeah, if y'all could weigh in on that highly uh, not controversial topic. <laughs> yeah, not at all <laughs> controversial. Definitely kicking that to Harris. <laughs> <laughs> take it away okay um I will do my best I think it goes back to what um Ali was saying um you know a couple of minutes ago like um it goes back to that wall um like the the dynamic we have right now in 2020 it's not 2016 um you know after Bernie Sanders campaign folded we are in a there's a lot of overlap you know he has endorsed Biden 
Um, he endorsed Hillary Clinton back then. There's there um, there is some overlap, but I think that there's something different about 2020, which is that people have already gone through that experience where they had somebody they believed in. Um, and maybe he wasn't perfect. And he wasn't uh, certainly, um, but he represented that bold, you know, vision that that people were looking for. And Bernie Sanders, I'm talking about, and also, um, you know, more or less in vague terms, but like an idea about how to get there, which is that we're going to have to build a movement. Um, and so people have gone through that experience of having their hopes, um, you know, in in this campaign, you know, even though it didn't have the same slogan, it, not me, us, that kind of campaign. Um, and and of, of getting crushed. And then the experience of protesting at the DNC back in 2016, of trying to reform some of the DNC and the Democratic primaries rules, you know, um, things around superdelegates, other other rules about how um, the nominee in the Democratic Party would be selected. Um, people have tried electing a more progressive Congress and Senate um, to see, you know, maybe maybe that's maybe it's just all about down ballot and stuff like that. Um, and those were important efforts. And I think a lot more people than, um, you know, back in 2016 and 2017 have now gone through experience that that wasn't enough. Um, and we need to be organized on our own terms, which isn't to say that. Um, this is necessarily the best time. I don't think it is to just out of the blue say, okay, DSA is launching, um, you know, a whole new party. Welcome all. Um, I think that that would be sort of just spitting in the face of the re very real concerns people have about voting out um, Trump. And that's a real question that that DSA as a whole and, and in Seattle needs to engage with. Um, but I think that it would be people are looking for an alternative. Um, and there's not a whole lot else besides for DSA, um, you know, which is the biggest socialist organization, not just in the country, but in many, many decades. Um, it would be a mistake for us to not ready ourselves to provide that alternative, recognizing it would be a minority at first. Um, so um, I'm part of this effort, um, along with many other people where we've uh, launched a petition um, and but also just uh, it's come in the form of like many different discussions and stuff like that about um, like DSA at, at the national level through our NPC, like organizing some conferences, both for DSA members and for other people on the left um, and other people, especially who are organized, whether it's in unions or in other progressive organizations coming together where we could start talking about what are the forces we would need to actually launch a new party. Um, again, recognizing that you can't just poof that out of thin air into existence out of thin air, um, but that it will, it will take a lot of work of bringing together a lot, a lot, a lot of different forces. But there are, you know, I think it's safe to say like um, at least a million people, if not far more than that, who are looking for um, like a coherent political alternative um, and, and to just say, oh, well, like, what do we say to them? Like, oh, well, go back and try reforming a democratic party. Like we've tried it. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, we can be clear also that like a party as socialists conceive of it is not just, you know, a party in the sense of like the Democratic Party where you vote every so often and every so often you hear your candidate or your whatever your elected official talk at you for a few minutes. But like a like it's a working class organization that working class people have ownership over um, or ownership of, you know, they control it through their dues as DSA currently does. Um, they control it through having 
um, you know, authority over candidates that they run and, and a program that those candidates are expected to stick to and things like that. Um, and also more than that, like build, as Ali was talking about building in our community, working with other, you know, organizations, like all the different things that DSA members already do, doing that, but with a self-consciousness. And I'll just like one last thing, I, I feel like self-consciousness is such an important thing. Like it's consciousness is a word that's actually talked about a lot, like on um, the radical left in Marxism in Maoism. Um, it it's, and it's an important concept. It's like the difference between having feelings that don't, where you don't have a word for it and then having feelings where you have a word for it and you can name it. And then you're like much more empowered to do something about it. So we talk about like working class consciousness. Why is it important that the working class, um, leads society? Um, and, um, we can also talk about the consciousness that DSA is becoming um, in many ways. It's acting like a democratic socialist party, um, but we don't call ourselves it, it and, and it, we hold ourselves back a little bit, I think, for it. The power, the power of words and names. This is reminding me of uh, the classic Ursula Le Guin book, Earthsea. Uh, if anyone's read that. I haven't, um, but I should. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, that's a really interesting point about, um, self-identifying as an organization, going in a, to go in a direction effectively, you have to establish that that's actually what you're building towards. Um, but to, I guess, one question that I would have to to like further this discussion is this this ongoing discussion within DSA about um, do we need to get to a certain point strength-wise within our you know, our numbers nationally of members or what we're able to do organizationally with respect to, you know, perhaps a local or state or national campaign before the idea of having a national political party even becomes uh, something more than a pipe dream, if that makes any sense. Like, do we have a lot more work to do to strengthen DSA before we could reasonably launch a party? Or do you think that launching a party, building a party is how we build DSA to be strong? Um, I don't know. Um, so uh, a DSA member, Seattle DSA member recently said something about like, we're building the airplane while we're flying it or something like that. Um, and I think that really, really, you know, captures what we're trying to do. Um, there's no doubt that uh, we have to build in every way um, much further than we have done so far. Um, but I'd also like encourage us to sort of look at like what we have accomplished. I'm not going to get all the stats right. Um, so I don't know if somebody can just like edit those into being correct. But like, I mean, like how at a national level, like in Chicago, we have, um, you know, we have six open socialist council members. Um, and I don't know everything about their platform or exactly how they work with the, you know, Chicago chapter or anything like that. But that's really significant. And they they are like nationally recognized. Um, and then we have people like um, AOC, where, um, you know, you see at times her putting quite a bit of distance between her, um, herself and our organization. Um, and we have, but that, that, but also her we owe a lot of our membership to her rise, but I think also it's part of the same phenomenon, right? Of where, like, why did she rise? I mean, part, a big part of it was because she is, you know, incredibly talented and everything like that, but also just the moment we're in. Um, and it was the same, you know, uh, factors that like, you know, buoyed um, 
DSA nationally. Anyways, all that to say, somebody could look it up at some point, but I I believe we have like 100 people who are running um, across the country or who have run. And in many ways, I think we've done a lot of that work. I think in other cities, we have quite strong ties with a lot of different groups and are are part of important coalitions and and all those different things. Um, And that work has to continue. I think in particular, we need to grow much more deeply um, as rank and file members of unions um, and in other workplaces that don't yet have unions. Um, and also just like, at, as I said earlier, like at a neighborhood level. Um, but I think a, a way that we will grow is also by, yeah, sort of putting up the banner and saying, you know, come join us and stuff like that. Um, but, and I think it's important we have like a certain amount of humility, like when we say we're putting together these conferences, we're recognizing we're gonna need to win over unions. Like we're not going to be able to do that from the start. <laughs> Some of them we will, but a lot of them we won't. Um, and it's going to be a fight and it's going to be battle. But hopefully, it's one that we are like setting ourselves up for um, to really, you know, win over the millions of people that we need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe uh, a pitch that perhaps Ali, you could speak to this more. I don't know. Um, is you know, what is our pitch to unions? Why should they put their throw their hats in with a DSA, uh, you know, political party. Um, I, that's actually what holds me back from, from, um, sort of going, going full speed on, on a party. Uh, that's been such a challenge for a long time. Uh, the way that organized labor has been just totally broken down and how, you know, complex relationships with communities of color, things of that nature. There's, it seems like there's a ton of work to do to just cohere behind some of the things that we want before we figure out what the structure is to get there. And I guess that's my hesitation, but I think it's a really important question to be asking, particularly post-Bernie. And I just want to say, I really agree with your analysis, Harris, of there being a need for this vision that pulls it together that, you know, that's why a lot of us came to DSA and came to socialism more broadly is that maybe we were politicized in contexts that were more like single issue or identity based. And finally, there's this thing that knits together a lot of, a lot of what we want to see in the world. And uh, so I hear you on the need for that and, and how um, a DSA members should be thinking about it and I'm really looking forward to the conversation and I don't I don't right now we're not there that's my view what do you think it would take for us to get there or I guess what would the criteria be for for you to you know measure our track along that path no small questions here on (laughs) solidarity zone it would be boring (laughs) if they were small (laughs) that is so so big Um, So how do we build enough <laughs> relationships with labor to sustain the pos- in the context of their they being totally under attack to build a new party? Yeah, I don't know. But I guess given in the context of you know we are Seattle DSA, you know we're here in Seattle, um, we necessarily have to start where we live. So mm-hmm. um, you know we've kind of already talked a little bit about this about building those types of relationships with unions with other activist organizations. Um, so, you know, are there any kind of milestones that you would like for us to, to get to? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and this is actually something we're talking about in the local council. And so I just want to say that there's a lot to be developed still to figure out what some of those targets could be. Uh, but certainly like reviving some of our thinking around a, a labor committee and in doing so, hopefully creating more space for discussion around from, you know, talking with union members. I am not one, so I can't, you know, say exactly, but I do think that uh, creating that space, doing more of analysis of, of of who are actually the stakeholders we could be building with, how do we, you know, what do we need to do, you know, sort of thinking about that as a as a campaign in some ways uh, would be really productive. Um, and then I think also we are, um, you know, our workplace organizing collective is doing a lot of work that I think is is helping people who are not in in unions uh, to be able to like think about like creating. Um, creating demands, uh, potentially unionizing, but also just building consciousness. Uh, and I think that that's something that we can do certainly for a long time to, to keep building from the outside in and inside out. Yeah. And like, I guess just to get at some of what you're saying, I think a big part of this, and this is something I am a broken record on, we contingent upon us to raise people's expectations. Mm. Um, and that's, pretty much a lot of the battle we're having to fight. And I think there's a lot of unions, a lot of union members who would get on board with democratic socialism if, you know, provided that, you know, terminology um, to put a name to the ideas that they already support through being a union member. Um, But uh, people's expectations of the system are extremely low. And when you're dealing with the fact that there's decades and decades of relationship building between union leaders, union members, and you know, the Democratic Party, that's, you know, that's, that's what you're walking into. So it's no small feat. And I appreciate that, you know, we're able to be both pragmatic and also have a vision. And I think that's super important um, for us to be effective in doing anything. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know, something that Ali and I have been talking about, and I think I'm guessing a lot of people in DSA have been talking about is um strategy um and um i think there's a really healthy reaction nationally and in seattle dsa against like too much focus on theory like we can't be like mm. um armchair marxists or whatever um like that <laughs> is not what we're this is that's not this project um and so i think it's like a kind of healthy like allergic reaction to like to that um which i very am very sympathetic to um but I actually would like us to to talk a whole lot more about strategy and theory and to demystify it all and to like, I think there's an idea that, oh, some people are into theory and strategy and some people aren't. And I would just argue that's like BS. Like I see everybody using strategy all the time. Like, um, uh, you know, thinking about what is their end goal and then like, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Um, and like when somebody's advocating for, you know, Seattle DSA should organize food banks or Seattle DSA should, you know, organize a conference around a democratic socialist party. All of that is, um, there's like a strategy there um, about your theory of change. And so I would just love us to like, to talk openly about like, what is it that we're trying to get to? For me, like, um, and, and I don't think that everybody in DSA shares this view, but I'm just talking about myself. Like, I really believe that we need to gear, like when I'm talking about a, a socialist party, it's not just for like electoral gains or anything like that. It's like, how are we going to build working class power? 
um, political power is, is like a, a party. Um, and then you can have like the other kind of power, like through a union or whatever. Um, how do we build enough power um, where we, our class, the 99% can take over society to do, to, to do the revolution, right? Um, and so I'm always working backwards from there. Um, and maybe you have to work quite a bit backwards. Um, but I think it would be really useful for all of us to sort of, from various different starting points, like work our, work our way backwards and figure out, okay, what does that mean about like what Seattle DSA should be doing right now? Um, yeah, and I would just love to have those conversations. Maybe that's a conversation we can have here on the Cascadia Solidarity. Yes, you are, you are invited back for our discussion. <laughs> Reform so, or revolution. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Car- Carolyn mentioned earlier that the alternate title or subtitle of our podcast is Big Tent Rat City. Uh, which Rat City is an unofficial <laughs> nickname for Seattle, for, for those who didn't know. Um, but that also comes from the fact that DSA is often called a Big Tent organization. And I just want to know, what does that mean to each of you, especially during the coronavirus crisis where we're all having to shelter in home? Um, Allie, do you want to go first? Um, sure. <laughs> we uh, talked about this the other day of some of the misconceptions of, of what that means. Uh, uh, to me, this may be overly simplistic, and it's also going to betray that I'm one of those people who has a real allergy to theory. Um, <laughs> worked at a university for too long, you know, um, and I, I just hate like the idea of certainty and inevitability. Like I find that really challenging. However, um, I think that uh, multi tendency means that we need like that by nature, by orientation of the people here, but also by the nature of the struggle, we need to have as many strong tactics as possible uh, to to get at that that building power question, to disrupt the system, uh, and and to and to build alternatives. And so, for me, it's 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 both very challenging uh, because how do you set priorities? Um, how do you get people around common goals? But at the other, on the other hand, it's, it's a source of a ton of strength. Um, I think we, you know, being able to tackle some of the issues in capitalism from different angles is a huge deal. Um, what we shouldn't let it do is uh, make it seem that because we all are sort of coming at, at these questions from different angles that then we can't have some, we can't coordinate, we can't build the organization to have more coherence, to have concrete goals and to do that strategy conversation that Harris was talking about of like, hey, where do we wanna be? And then what do we have to do to get there? Um, If we really wanna play, like be a player in Seattle politics and then more broadly in a socialist movement, I think it's a really big deal to sort of up our game on that front and, and, and be explicit about what the tactics are we have to draw from. And, uh, and we can only do that by, by focusing in on where we're trying to go. I mean, I, I would just really fast interject. Like when I hear the word big tent, I think of a circus. And even mm-hmm. if there's a circus with a lot going on in like various sideshows, there is, you know, the concept of a ringleader, the person who kind of brings it all together, huh? main act, main act kind of deal. Um, so there is perhaps, in my mind, if you wanted to be strategic, there you could get to the point where you said, there is actually a more correct tendency to align with what we want our strategies to be. So 
I guess one kind of wrinkle to the conversation about a big tent is that you necessarily have to focus and, and kind of choose your tactics and strategy. And that might fly in the face of certain uh, groups of folks who I might have politics leaning in one direction. So I guess in the context of a big tent, how do you, how do you make that inclusive and how do you do that without alienating people, but at the same time while also getting things done? That is the question in front of us. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're experiencing, you know, experimenting with. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Harris? Yeah, I think there's some inherent contradictions in a big tent organization, but I would really second everything that that Ali said. And um, I think that we could do ourselves like enormous favors by like leaning into that fear a little bit of like uh, uh, like um, seeing these tendencies as like um, in you know life or death competition or anything like that, like if we could get to a place where, and I would really, really like this to happen, um, you know, while Ali and I are on the LC and a lot of other people are too, um, like I would like us to be able to use our general membership meetings for that to, that to be like this confluence of different ideas where we're not afraid to have like a little bit of comradely debate and talk about, especially like concrete questions before us, like, you know, what should our COVID response be or things like that. Um, and to like, yeah, be able to, like exchange different ideas with each other, um, like with like a lot of humility, but also like a, like like building ourselves up um, each with a certain amount of confidence where we like try different things out and sometimes we're wrong and sometimes we're right. And it's a really damn good thing that we had a conversation about it. So we could like, uh, like help each other, like figure out what the right path is. Um, and that, yeah, like let's not be afraid to like try and figure out what the best strategy is, but recognize that like there's something really there's a there's an important place uh, for there to be like things like a big tent multi-tenancy organization because it means that like broad layers of the working class are able to come together and exchange those ideas and I hope we get to a point um, you know under the umbrella of a democratic socialist party where um, you know we have um, we have um, you know recruited you know so many working class people that there will even be like some like like um, like such a diversity of ideas that like we are in a much, much, much more intense way having to like figure out how do we um, confront uh, like racism within our organization and sexism and other things like that. How do we, how do we do that? But also like, like figure out the best way to like build towards the kind of organization that, that we need to be, that's able to like take power for ourselves eventually. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think my read is that there's been uh, a fair amount of tiptoeing yeah. <laughs> around the difference and the sources of difference. And I think if we sort of bring that stuff out uh, much more intentionally, it's only going to strengthen us. Yeah. Well, cool. put the big lights up. Let's, uh, let's go to go check out this socialist circus. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, Allie and Harris, thank you so much for coming to chat with us. And as the only unofficial podcast of Seattle DSA. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> I really love that you guys started this up. So thank you so much. Uh, it's super exciting. This is, this is, this is the stuff we need to keep doing this stuff. So. Oh, thanks for visiting the solidarity zone and uh, may the solidarity vibes be with you the rest <laughs> of your 
the rest of your lovely day. And also with <laughs> you. you. too. So that's our interview with the co-chairs, Allie and Harris. I thought there were a couple of important themes that were kind of happening throughout the conversation. But one thing I, I did want to pick up on since earlier we were talking about, you know, how each of us joined uh, Seattle DSA is that Harris mentioned in their um, discussion early on that the the search for kind of a place politically took a, took some time, and that um, she was always looking for socialism, even though you know they may not have actually known it. Um, I felt like that applied to me as well. That I've always been looking for Seattle DSA, even if I didn't know that. And I'm wondering if that rings true for some of you all as well. For me, it was a uh... A little bit different, but I loved what she said about having words to put to ideas and having the words actually helps you figure out more about your politics. And I I just thought that was a really interesting concept. Um, The power of words and how meaning can come out of having words to describe things. So I thought that was really fascinating. Um, But my own experience was a little different, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, speaking to my personal experience, like I grew up in in a Republican uh, conservative household, like my dad's a conservative talk show host by trade and all that kind of stuff. And, and even like early on, I knew my ideas of how the world should be didn't really fit into the box uh, of what he was telling me it should be. When I was in high school and started getting into punk music and like started, you know, kind of getting into counterculture and and, and getting the political themes from all of that. And I, I don't think when you're that age, like really the, the, um, the labels really stick with you, especially since like a whole thing with the punk scene is like, breaking free of labels and all of that. But when you, you listen to the politics of it and you carry that with you into adulthood and all of a sudden this huge grassroots movement of Bernie Sanders and all that comes through, it's just like, wait, this is the thing that I've been thinking about most of my life and didn't really understand, you know, how to, to, how to verbalize it and how, and how many other people were feeling the same way uh with it so I, I i feel i feel like yeah the, you know you know like it, it is kind of something that i was searching for without really realizing what i was looking for yeah so kind of like what maddie said in in uh high school my politics were informed by punk rock music like anti-flag and by rage against the machine um and then when i went to college um i lived in a anarchist house for a little bit but gradually like I was sort of, you know, I absorbed the idea that like liberalism works and there's a way to, there's a path to change the future and like make a world that we all want uh, through just like playing the game. And eventually I realized after playing the game for like five or six years, trying to do good work to help the environment through businesses that that's just, the game is rigged and there's no, there's no way that can actually work. And so that's when I was much more receptive to left alternatives and kind of going full circle. Absolutely. I feel like you have to try and change the system in order to realize how broken and un- <laughs> unfixable the current system really is. The, those experiences of challenging power structures, I think, is very transformative. Carolyn, I think that's an excellent segue into the next topic I wanted us to, to kind of de- de- 
delve into because there's a big one in our conversation with Allie and Harris, which is um, the question of whether DSA both you know, nationally and locally here in Seattle should be working toward building a third party for electoral politics um, as just a kind of quick primer for anyone listening that may not um, be aware of the controversy around that. There, there's a big distinction between people who want to, who, you know, who are in favor of doing electoral politics, but want to try and reform the Democratic Party from the inside out. So an example of that might be someone like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, or trying to build something completely new because the Democratic Party, you know, some people are going to say is, is fundamentally broken. It's impossible to reform it in a way that's actually going to represent um, poor and working class people. Um, so uh, you know, Harris is definitely on board with this idea, I think, and talked a lot about it and is helping to kind of push DSA towards having this conversation and I'd love to get a quick take of everybody here on, you know, where do you stand, you know, generally on electoral politics and on the idea of should DSA be working towards building a third party? Is it a kind of an all of the above approach or should we really focus on one or the other? I'm generally of the opinion that uh, that electoral politics are part of the equation. They they help promote. Uh, socialism if you have socialist candidates and so they're a great platform whether you win or not but they are not the way to for us to win they're not the way um, that we can actually move into socialism exclusively and so we we need to have like these networks of, of mutual aid involved we also need need to do things such as have a how do I put it we need to have um, a, a a way to to critique the powers that be, um, and we also need to be able to to look at things from the perspective of okay, like we can we can use these structures to actually make make some changes. Um, I think that the big the biggest lesson that we can get from from getting involved in electoral politics, um, in some ways, like even when you win, even when like um, like the the proverbial dog catches the car, is that um, you have like you have situations like Madison, uh, oh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they had socialists in the early twentieth century running the running the town, but um, they it didn't necessarily break off into like a huge uh, revolutionary movement. So like there, there are some big questions involved. And then, and then just finally, like what, <laughs> what does it mean to, to try to take on the DNC? Like, I think the, the, the Tea Party was able to take on the RNC and like the Republican uh, consensus speak partly because it was it was um, underwritten by the Koch brothers and other big money interests. And we just don't have like that's that sort of support. I mean, I would say that what you're saying, there's this equation, different parts to it that add up to socialism <laughs> and electoral politics is part of that. I would say that in America, we have to think about where we can reach people. And a lot of workplaces are not places where you can necessarily easily organize and where you can develop uh, people's uh, concepts of 
of, uh, you know, solidarity and collective action and socialist ideas. And I think that uh, the political, the electoral stage is really a great place to reach people because that's where a lot of people tune into um, politics. Um, I think that's unfortunate because there are a lot of spaces that have been sort of depoliticized on purpose, right? But um, I think it's a really important part of the equation. And I think that especially right now, as we're thinking about how to grow our movement and how to uh, grow our power, we have to think about all the people who were involved with Bernie's movement and who now might be looking for a new political home. So I think for that reason, um, due to the disillusionment a lot of those folks have with the Democratic Party, uh, we need to keep in mind that um, they're looking for a political home and we can and move towards creating that. I think the questions that you know, are out there are, what's the timeline? What is the form of how we get there? Um, and, you know, how do we, how do we become a stronger, more organized organization that is actually, uh, you know, representing the folks who we claim we want to uh, represent um, before we are able to build a legitimate uh, third party? So I think there's a lot of chicken and the egg questions but I think it's a conversation that we absolutely have to be having right now. Yeah, I think um, so. Like my my personal views on on the whole third party thing is like the the only time I've ever voted for president, like uh, it was a third party pick. But I think that that that's something that needs to be brought into the conversation of it all is the reality that. Not everyone is necessarily as like politically in tune as we are, uh, you know, on on this uh, on 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 this call, this podcast, or whatever, and, and don't one hundred percent get the minutia uh, of like how these things work, and so a lot of people will automatically just disregard candidates that are that are third party candidates. Um, like for example, when I was having a conversation with my sister who lives in California, um, when the Tara Reid story first broke, and she was talking about how she's so upset that she's going to have to, you know, vote for the lesser of two, uh, you know, sexual predators, and, and I was like, well, no, you don't have to do that. You can vote for a third party, and so I, I ended up having to have the conversation with her that like the voting voting third party isn't a vote for trump uh thing that so many people get kind of brainwashed into from their only sources of, of news being mainstream media and I, I i feel like that's just a piece of propaganda that's been you know wedged so far into the american psyche is that they think if regardless of whether it's a blue state or a red state if you do vote for a third party, you're helping the other person of the major two parties. And so it, it's it's one of those things that well, we've got. To be fair, in a lot of places you are doing that. Uh, I mean, I would say like there are reasons beyond people being brainwashed that they would vote for uh, one or the other parties, um, not third party. I mean, I, I don't want to discount like a lot of voters because I think that does us a disservice and... I think if we're real about wanting to grow our power and have a third party ourselves that's growing out of DSA, we have to start from a place of, you know, um, respecting the electorate, which can feel really hard. But 
I would just want to push back against the idea that like everyone who's voting for the lesser of two evils is doing so out of a place of being brainwashed. Cause I, I don't, I just don't believe that that is true, but yeah. I don't know. Like, like I've, I've always, I've always just been of the mind that like always expect that other people don't know as much as you. And then, you know, talk them through the situation. So it's, 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 it's not something that I'm against, uh, but I just, it is, it is going to be a lot of work. And there are a lot, and also like, there are a lot of low information voters. So like, what does, what does it mean? It, I, I know that we want to respect people's, um, respect people's choices because democracy, obviously. Um, but like, what does a vote for Joe Biden in the primary mean when Joe Biden has a certain level of, of notoriety just from being Barack Obama's vice president, you know, like, I, I think that, 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 that brand recognition isn't uh, exactly an endorsement of the guy. It's, uh, it's just like, Oh, well, um, I know him and, and like, he's down for the status quo and definitely not going to vote for Trump. So. I'll just also, I mean, I think I agree with you mostly while I, and just to add a punctuation to one part though, that when we, you know, when we use a phrase like low information voter, oftentimes that's used or interpreted as an insult to people. But in reality, I think it's a, it's a accurate description of people in a system where they are, are not set up to succeed in politics and understanding politics. We don't provide people with the tools and the resources and that people like us in, you know, DSA who are going out of our way, taking time out of our day to pay attention to these types of things and to study, you know, what's going on and to understand policy. We're, we're definitely in the minority and to a certain degree, we're, you know, we're privileged that we can, you know, even take the time to understand these things. And I don't fault people for being low information voters. And so understanding those systems that, you know, prevent people from participating in politics and prevent them from understanding it, I think is also really important. Yeah. And it's a system, right? In terms of, in terms of what um, engenders low information voters, like the onus isn't necessarily uh, on the people um, who are, who have lower levels of information, at least not, not the majority of that onus. And so like, I, I like to say generational projects. You'll probably hear me use that phrase a lot um, during this pot, this podcast, because like, I think that one thing is that we have um, a, a greater generational project to get to from point A of where we are now to point B of, of, of socialism. And like, it's not going to, it's not going to happen overnight. And, and ultimately, yeah, like we need to, we need to get people more activated to have um, a, a more a more political mindset, and 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 frankly, that's not just through electoral electoral politics. Like the way that 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 the gauntlet of electoral politics that they 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 run people through um, in in our system is is meant to get people disenchanted, while um, in in some ways getting people more involved in direct action and in mutual aid and things like that um, helps people see like, Hey, like, well, if, if we're organizing this building, 
Um, also, it would probably be beneficial if we voted for this for this uh, measure to make sure that that um, that we actually fund housing in in our city. You know. Yeah, we disagreed with each other. Hope no one's offended. <laughs> I I disagreed with you. How how dare you? I, I think Josh and Wale uh, put what I was trying to say in better words than I was ever going to be able to find. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> I just disagree with you. It's nothing. You didn't say anything wrong. Um, yeah, no, this is something I've noticed people really don't like on the left. It's like, hey, like we can just have a healthy disagreement. And uh, yeah, we don't have to agree and it's fine. And I'm not oh, yeah. upset. And you're oh. not upset and it's all good. Yeah, totally. No, like I, I'm I'm all I'm all for disagreements and all this stuff. Cause like that that's that's something that I keep noticing is like big online, like, you know, left personalities will go for each other's throats and then it'll just It's awful. And, and, you know, that that that's that's why they keep having the 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 recurring phrase of the left eats its own and it, it it sucks because it's just like the left is such a broad thing and this i feel like that's why we're not able to you know kind of coalesce in the way that like establishment stuff coalesces because a lot of people can't see past their nose to like get over a disagreement that's not really as big as absolutely also like i don't know if you saw this thing i saw this thing on twitter <laughs> and it was like uh, a, a meme of how the right people on the right the far right disagree with each other and they're basically like, you're not hot. I'm hot. <laughs> and then it's like people on the left are all ready to like, Oh God. No. Following, following all that Paul Joseph Watson stuff. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's like, you don't have a wife or kids cause you're ugly. And it's like, it's just hilarious anyways. So. <laughs> That's it for this episode. A big thank you to Ali and Harris for speaking to us, and thank you for listening. Cascadia Solidarity Zone is an independent project and does not represent official positions or views of Seattle DSA. Please subscribe to Cascadia Solidarity Zone wherever you find podcasts. Catch you next time in the zone. <laughs>